Today is the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of a new church liturgical year. On this date also falls the feast of a virgin martyr from the early days of the church, St. Viviana. And the second oration of the Mass is taken from the feast day of St. Viviana. There's a third oration also, Deus de Quis Quide Salutis, which is an invocation to our Blessed Mother, actually to God on for the intercession of our Blessed Lady. Now, as you see, this coming Friday is the first Friday of the month of December. And so we will have all-night adoration of our Lord in the Blessed Sacrament on the altar throughout Friday night into Saturday morning. It is also December 7th. It is an anniversary of a an infamous day in the history of our country, the attack on Pearl Harbor, which cost almost 3,000 lives. Please remember those lost in that attack and in the subsequent war that engulfed the, the entire world. Ask God for mercy, God mercy. Now, December 7th, Friday, is also the Feast of St. Ambrose and the vigil day of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Now, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is our patronal feast day. It is one of the holy days of obligation of the Church, and all Catholics worthy of the name are obliged to attend Holy Mass that day. That's on Saturday, December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. The day before... The vigil, the Friday, is a day of, of fast and complete abstinence. Now, Friday is almost always a day of complete abstinence from meat in any case, but add to that the need to fast, that is to take only the meals you're entitled to and not to eat between meals, to take only one full meal. The day of vigil is a day of preparation. And so this Friday brings together the Feast of St. Ambrose, the first Friday of the month of September, the Vigil of the Immaculate Conception, with its fasting and abstinence, all in preparation throughout the adoration of the night for the great, great feast of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception. By the way, I ask you to keep something in mind this coming Saturday, the feast, the feast day should remind us of how blessed we are here. There are many groups of traditional Catholics around the world, so many of them have had to buy land and build their own churches and then try to make them look Catholic and beautiful and traditional. Whereas God has gifted us with this beautiful church, which has a history, it's kind of a legacy of the Catholicism before Vatican II. It is the work of loving hearts loyal to the Church, going back more than a century, before Vatican II, before World War II, before World War I. Catholics were kneeling here and praying before the Blessed Sacrament. The first church, as you know, was built at St. Matthew's newly established parish in 1906. It was 
standing where the basically the garages are now. But within a few years, the building that we now use as our high school building gave us gave them the second church on this site. The ground floor where we have St. Susanna Hall and the school offices and the library. That was actually the church. Again, where for a dozen years, for a decade, actually, uh, the Catholic people would go to the sanctuary. You can still see the mark of the communion rails in the wood floor of St. Susanna Hall, where the sanctuary was, where the Blessed Sacrament was in the high altar. It was there that people came to pray during World War I for the safe return of their loved ones. And then this church was begun in 1922, built, completed in 1924. It was here the devotions continued day by day by day throughout World War II as the Catholic people would gather from all over this area to pray for the safe return of their loved ones from the war. They had the daily devotions to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And notice at Our Lady's altar, we have the statue of Our Lady of Perpetual Help here. Can kind of commemoration of all those years of prayers that preceded us, preceded Vatican II and the changes and all. So whereas others had to start afresh by building new churches and new sanctuaries with modern materials and then try to adorn them to make them look Catholic, we have this Catholic church presented to us by God as a sacred trust. We have so much to be thankful for here. And I do ask you this feast of the Immaculate Conception to express that gratitude to God and to Our Lady to providing this beautiful church dedicated to that great privilege of her Immaculate Conception. The epistle for this first Sunday of Advent is taken from the Epistle of St. Paul to the Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 to 14. Brethren, knowing the time, that it is now the hour for us to rise from sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed, the night is past, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and impurities, not in contention and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Please stand for the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is taken from that according to St. Luke, chapter 21, verses 25 to 33. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. At that time Jesus said to his disciples, There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth distress of nations, by reason of the confusion of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, men withering away for fear and expectation of what shall come upon the whole world. For the powers of heaven shall be moved, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and majesty. 
But when these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your hearts, because your redemption is at hand. And he spoke to them a multisimilitude, See the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth their fruit, and you know that summer is nigh. So you also, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is at hand. Amen, I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Thus far the words of today's Holy Gospel. Let's be serious. <clears throat> when you see these things begin to come to pass, look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is at hand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear faithful, the gospel of the last Sunday after Pentecost and the gospel of today, the first Sunday after Pentecost, is very similar. Both gospels address the events surrounding the last days of the world. But they are also rather different in some very important ways. St. Luke does give us a somewhat lengthy description of the events of the end of the world, as does St. Matthew. And yet the gospel today is about half the length of last Sunday's gospel because the church does not repeat many of the things St. Luke has to say that St. Matthew does say last week about the sorrows, the tribulations, and the troubles at the end of the world. Last Sunday, we read about all of those in St. Matthew's Gospel because the Church wants us to understand what lies ahead in the history of the world and what some future generations are going to have to endure. Perhaps we're already seeing the beginning of those tribulations now, and these are tribulations that our, if that is the case, that our children and their children will have to face. But in the Gospel today, the Church wants us rather to look forward. The main statement in the Gospel today is that when all of these things, things are happening, we should actually look up, rejoice to think that our Lord is near at hand. And this will make all the difference between those who mourn between those who grieve and are filled with sorrow at the prospect of seeing Christ because they are his enemies and they realize that he has come to condemn the evil things that they've done. But for those who are faithful to him and love him, there is a great deal of anticipation and joy in the thought of seeing him. They do not dread seeing our Lord because their love for him will be so great that it will cast out fear. St. John the Apostle says, perfect love casts out fear. And in fact, we read from the prophecies that those who are faithful to Christ in those days of terrible tribulation will have such a great love for him that they will make the martyrs, even of the early days of the church, pale in comparison 
Even St. Viviana, whose feast day we celebrate today as a virgin martyr, will have to, in a sense, admire the tremendous love in the hearts of the faithful as they approach the end of the world and the coming of our Lord. Now, there are some things that these Gospels do share, and these things are very important to us. St. Matthew talks about an abomination of desolation. In fact, the Gospel of last Sunday begins with that. Talk of abomination of desolation. What, what is that? Well, the fathers of the church addressed that very question long ago. The idea of an abomination is something that is very, very offensive to God. Something abominable is something terrible, something horrible. And an abomination will be something so blasphemous, so sacrilegious, that it will be the great, the great insult that mankind offers to God. It will be an abomination of desolation because whereas something we offer to God that is pleasing to him draws God's blessing, when we thrust in the face of God some terrible insult and abomination, it will bring rather a curse than a blessing. As our Lord is portrayed in St. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, as turning to the self-willed goats on his left and saying, Depart from me, you accursed ones. They have drawn upon themselves a curse so mankind will draw down upon itself a curse by this abomination of desolation. And where will we find the abomination of desolation? St. Matthew tells us that it will be found in the very sanctuary of God. That's where mankind will erect this terrible insult to God in the very sanctuary where God should be honored and adored and loved, as it were in the Holy of Holies itself, that's where mankind will erect its abomination of desolation. Now we know that sanctuary is a place where the holy sacrifice of the Mass is offered. That holy sacrifice, which is the great act of worship of God's own Son, making reparation to God for the insults of man's sins, making reparation and allowing us to be, to be justified of sin in that very place where the sacrifice of reparation should be made, reparation for the insults of sin, mankind will erect this abomination of desolation, the supreme insults. There are those who have speculated for some years now that the modern mass, the Novus Ordo, so-called, is that abomination of desolation. But I don't believe that is the case. I believe the modern liturgy is a step in the direction of the abomination of desolation. But we haven't seen it yet in its fullness. Sad to say, if it is the case that the 
the new Mass, or the Novus Ordo, as Paul VI called it when he brought it in, is part of that. It is certainly part of that process and a, a large step in the direction toward ultimately what will be the enthronement of man in the place of God here on earth. Now, there's another thing that is common to the Gospel of St. Matthew and St. Luke, and that is the idea of the powers of heaven being moved. St. Mark talks about the stars falling and the sun being darkened and the moon no longer giving her light. And St. Luke repeats that idea here. He talks about the powers of heaven being moved, being shaken. And the fathers of the church long ago again addressed this question. What is our Lord speaking of? Is he speaking of the actual firmament above us? And they say, actually, yes, there will be signs above. But they say that there's a spiritual meaning to all of this also. And fathers of the church have actually said that this indicates the corruption of the leaders of the church on earth. They actually point this out hundreds of years ago, that this means the corruption of the leaders of the church on earth, those should be the lights, as it were, shining with the light of grace and leading mankind to know and to love and to serve God, that those leaders will become corrupted and those lights will be darkened and mankind will lose their way because of that. And, well, we can see that there are things happening now that would indicate that prophecy is being realized, at least in part, before our very eyes today. And there's another, another thing that is mentioned, mentioned both by St. Matthew and St. Luke. It was mentioned in last Sunday's Gospel by St. Luke, St. Mark, I'm sorry, by St. Matthew. It is not to be found in the Gospel read today, but it is in the Gospel of St. Luke. It's just a few chapters earlier. Like St. Matthew, St. Luke talks about the eagles. The eagles being gathered around the body. Both of the evangelists, St. Matthew and St. Luke, say where the body is, Wherever the body is, there will be the eagles be gathered together. And again, a rather mysterious statement. But the fathers also have addressed these statements for our benefit now. <clears throat> the eagles, they say, <clears throat> refer to the faithful. In these times of tribulation, the faithful will gather where will they gather? Wherever. And that is the term used in the Greek gospel from which all the translations come. Wherever the body will be. And the fathers tell us that the body is the body of Christ. The evangelists don't say the body of Christ will be wherever the faithful are gathered. Rather, that the the faithful will gather where the body of Christ is. 
And the word used in the Greek gospel from which the translations come, including the translation we're reading today, do not use the same word for body. St. Matthew uses the Greek word to ptoma. Ptoma means a corpse, sometimes translated as a carcass. Wherever the corpse is, there where the eagles be gathered together, the body. Well, it's interesting that this statement relates to what comes next in both Gospels of St. Matthew and St. Luke. And what comes next in the Gospel is the Last Supper, our Lord's giving his body and blood to his apostles and then going to die. And so the fathers tell us that St. Matthew refers to the body of Christ sacrificed upon the cross, hanging in death upon the cross, that that is where the eagles will be gathered, around the cross of Christ, around the sacrifice of Christ. But interestingly enough, in the Gospel of St. Luke, he does not use the word ptoma. He uses the related word soma in Greek. It refers to a body, and the body not as dead, but as alive. There would the eagles be gathered around the living body of Christ. And so we see here a very interesting allusion to the fact that the body of Christ dead upon the cross would rise and live. And as the eagles would gather around the sacrifice of Christ, as his body hung in death upon the cross, so the eagles will gather wherever they find the risen living body of Christ also. There are other curious things about the statements in the Greek, but I won't go into detail, that point out that these are prophecies about our own times. And if we understand them as the fathers do, we see that they refer to the holy sacrifice of the Mass, and they refer to you and me. They refer to us here, as it were, as the eagles who have gathered at the body of Christ. It is precisely that that has brought you here, that has brought all of us here today. We've gathered here around the body of Christ, crucified, died, buried, risen, glorified. That is where the eagles gather. Even in the most dreadful times, the times of the false prophets, the times of the Antichrist, working signs and wonders and all the rest, the gathering of the faithful will be always around the cross and around the altar at the Holy Mass. There they find the body of Christ. To gather, what, what is it that gathers people? Why do people gather together? What brings them together? Well, we know what brought the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians together one day. It was not love. They came together out of self-interest because they saw Jesus Christ as a threat to them all. Those groups that really hated each other, came together 
brought by a common hatred of Christ or a self-interest to see him destroyed. You see, that is not love that brought them together, but rather hatred. You know, hatred rejoices in the sufferings of another, whereas love rejoices in the joy of another person. <coughs> that is what brings husband and wife together, we hope. That is what keeps families together. The ability to rejoice in the joy of each other, to see each other happy and pleased. And our, our love for God is what makes us rejoice at his happiness, what pleases him. And of course, in God, his love for us makes him rejoice at our joy. He wants to see us blessed and happy with him in heaven. That is what really brings together, <coughs> as it were, and holds together those who want each other's good, that love of well-wishing, the amor benevolentiae that St. Thomas Aquinas speaks of, the, the love that makes one want to give for the joy of the other. And this, we find, is what will bring the eagles together around the body of Christ. It is our Lord who calls us here. When you see the host at Mass, when you have the host held up before you at the communion rail and bless, blessing you, when you receive our Lord, you realize that his love, in a sense, is, is all concentrated in that host. You, you might think to yourself, my, my God, your love for me has come to this, has come to this that you would be here in this way, in this way. How tremendous that love must be, God. That he would not only traverse the distance from eternity and infinity into this world of time with all of its limitations, that God would come here in this way his love is so powerful. In order to bring his love to me, in order that I might receive it in Holy Communion. That is what love does. It seeks union, rejoicing in the joy of the other. And that's what our Lord does for you when he comes to Holy Communion. He wants to bring you that love of his, which is your true joy. And to receive, to receive what love and joy you can bring him. That he rejoice in you also. When you receive our Lord in Holy Communion, think about that. There the eagles come. There they come around the body of Christ and to receive him. To receive of him and his love. I ask you to think about these things during this Advent season so that you may come to gather around the body of our Lord as eagles would gather. Even here, even now. And that you would bring to him what love you have. And even in offering that to him, receive the tremendous love that he has for you. May God bless you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.